our planning and our reality are very different. <laughs> so when we're planning, we have summer energy. And right, isn't this what you do in life? Like you're entering a new season and I have all this fresh energy and let's tackle everything. And then the reality of it, it's cold and flu season. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Is there a holiday that's more trigger happy than Valentine's Day? <laughs> let's tackle marriage. We could spend 37 sessions on marriage. Let's wrap it all up into one. <laughs> so my invitation for you this morning is twofold. One is take care of yourself. Breathe. If you do nothing else this morning, focus on your breathing. Try to slow down your insides. Work on feeling your body and being present in this space. Try to slow down. And the other thing is Practice an open-handed posture. We're not going to cover everything. And you're not going to be able to tackle everything. So open your hands up and go, God, what one thing do you have for me this morning? And actually, I said two things, but the third thing <clears throat> goes into acknowledging our diversity of experience. And that is, we have a lot of stories in this space. Our own and those of our loved ones that we can't help but bring with us. And when it comes to a topic like marriage, there's a lot in this room. We represent thriving, we represent longing, we represent brokenness, we represent frustration, we represent sin. There's a lot that we bring to the table with a topic like this. So be kind to yourself, be kind to the women that you're sitting with, be careful about assumptions, and it, it goes back to that, our hands are open. Our hands are open when it comes to, God, what do you have for me with this topic? And our hands are open in receiving the diversity of the stories in our midst. You are safe to bring to the table whatever you have at play, even if you are stuck in a cycle of sin or even if you are one inch away from crossing a major boundary, you are safe to bring that to the table. And where better to bring it to the table than among women who will pray for you? The other thing is when we talk about a topic like marriage, we want to keep in mind if there's a safety issue, if there's an issue of harm being done physically, sexually, to you or to a child in your midst, that takes top priority. If there's something like that at play, find someone to talk to about it. We have 
a ton of great resources in our area. We are so blessed by like frontline interventions, things that have never been around for much of history. And, and we are changing the dynamics when it comes to breaking cycles of violence and exploitation and harm. So if something like that is a part of your story, step, like make a step today. Talk to one person. Find someone, OK? All right, Janine talked about Tim and Kathy Keller's marriage book. She didn't know that that's, we've got some material right here from that. So one of the things that I love that they talk about is uh, that we are in an era of the me marriage. Uh, they say that the Bible teaches that marriage is a sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. Love is more fundamentally action than emotion. That is very counterculture, right? I mean, how confusing are the messages of love that we are saturated by at a young age? Just look at our kids and the music and, and the books and everything they're around. Um, to all the boys I've loved before, movie number two just came out, and I'm so excited about that, but what kind of messages of love, you know, we can have fun with these things, but we've got to remember that we are being soaked in a culture that love is an emotion, that love is an experience, no Love is a sacrificial action. But we also need to be careful that in looking at that, we're not leaning towards more of the ancient form of marriage that also was a misstep. For a large part of history, the family was the ultimate value in life, and marriage was simply a transaction that helped your family's interests. See, Western societies make the individual's happiness the ultimate value. So marriage becomes primarily an experience of romantic fulfillment. But the Bible sees God as the supreme good not the individual or the family. Guess what? We're all wrong. <laughs> and that gives us a view of marriage that, oh, I went too far. <laughs> I put too many words on the slides. That's the problem. Um, that gives us a view of marriage that intimately unites feelings and duty, passion and promise. And at the heart of the biblical idea of marriage is this word covenant. It's an invitation to remember the garden. When we look in the garden, we have the first picture of marriage between Adam and Eve. And Adam sings a poem over her. And it talks about friendship and it talks about sacrifice, and it talks about 
differences. Isn't it interesting how we tend to enter into covenant with someone who is very different from us? And I love in when Tim and Kathy Keller, there are a lot of um, different podcasts and things um, back when their book came out. They did a lot of talks together. And one of the things uh, that they quote is um, this idea that you always marry the wrong person. Because even if you think they were the right person, they marry you and they change, right? So it's always the wrong person. But this picture of that in the covenant relationship, it's a call back to the garden. That through Christ, who offers us radical transformation, I can move towards acceptance of my true identity. That I am beautifully and wonderfully made. I'm a sinner married to a sinner. But the core of my identity is who he says that I am and what he's moving me towards, which is a closer reflection of him. And the reality of his unconditional love, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, even though he knows better than anyone how much of a sinner I really am, how messed up I really am. But that his love is so deep and so wide and so unconditional that I can't help but grow. And then standing on that firm foundation, I can start to practice the kind of vulnerability that we saw back in the garden pre-sin. So remember, we've talked about in the garden, it started as this total naked and unashamed kind of engagement between God and us, between us and another. In our covenant relationship, we are totally vulnerable. But then we said, thank you very much, God. I think I can do better. And we chose created things over the creator. And sin's job ever since has been to make us withdraw, withhold, be arrogant, be prideful, think my perspective is the only right one. Sin's job has been to create separation between me and my God, between me and my fellow man, especially if I'm in a covenant relationship, because the covenant relationship is a picture of the kind of relationship that God invites us to have with him, this um, inner dependence. And, and so, of course, sin is going to want to create separation, create animosity, create resentment, create unspoken layering up of irritation and, you know, all the things. But when I'm, when I'm standing on that foundation of who he says that I am, when I'm letting my eyes be filled with him, I'm more likely to be open to giving the kind of engagement that he invites us to experience in this covenant relationship. To have intimacy as it was meant to be. Into me, you see. 
to be loved but not known, this is a Keller quote because we all love Keller, right? Um, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. And do you notice that even though the title of today's topic is marriage, when we're looking at things like this, isn't this what we long for in all of our relationships? Isn't this what we're trying to practice in this space? what we'd like to experience in our friendships, in our relationships with adult children, in, in when we think about a wide variety of relationships. This is what we should be moving towards. And so then we either, when we look at something like this, we say, hey, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Or we go, holy cow, my relationships are all horrible. I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm totally alone in the world. So it's important to remember that love can grow. <clears throat> A national study out of the University of Chicago found that 80% of people who rated their marriages unhappy when asked five years later ranked it happier. And of the couples that rated their marriages miserable, about 77% rated them as very happy five years later. It's important to remember and hang on to the hope that change is possible. If we camp out on nothing else as a body of Christian women, let it be our belief that change is possible, that God is in the business of changing people. He is in the business of growing people. He is in the business of calling people to himself and bringing about radical transformation. Let that be our focus and our prayer for our leaders, for the people that we worship with, for the people that we're in relationship with, and if we're in a covenant relationship, for our spouse and for ourselves, right? Because it can be very tempting in relationships to focus on all the things that we know should change about the other person. We're really good at being aware of their change opportunities, right? And if they would just invite us to point them out, right? We can make the world a better place. But often, and I loved Janine's examples where God so gently, and sometimes not quite as gently, goes, honey, child, I'm asking you. Remember when Sarah shared the story um, from the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan goes, I'm talking to you about your story. And so often 
we're going to God about other people's stories. And we're letting our head and our heart and our focus and our time all be about someone else and what they need to do and what they need to change. And he's just waiting for us to take a pause, to stop talking for a minute so he can go, sweet one, I'm inviting you to step into new, to step into different, to come to a deeper space of dwelling with me, of communion with me. Allow that communion to fill you up to a point that we can move towards radical transformation. And what's really ironic about that is often as we change, our perspective on the other starts to change too. All of a sudden, we notice more of their good than their rough, right? All of a sudden, we were more satisfied with the positive, with the strength, than with the thing that we thought was so critical for change. We talk a lot about posture, and it can take, it, the stance is very much the same, but the reason for checking it can change depending upon what we're talking about. So when it comes to a topic like marriage, when we're looking at our feet, it's to check to see, am I standing on the rock, or am I standing on this relationship? Because this relationship might even be really good, but it's not meant to hold my weight. When we're checking our eyes, where am I focused? We're looking to see, am I focused to him and looking for his direction, um, paying attention to the messages that he's trying to give me, um, listening to his identity statements about me, or am I looking to a man and expecting him to be able to provide all of that for me, right? Because that can be really easy. I mean, let's be honest. We put a lot of pressure on marriage. We put a lot of pressure on the men in our lives, to provide things that God was meant to provide. And it's okay to want a good relationship. And it's okay to want someone who can speak worth and value over me. But what's not okay is for me to be so hung up on that that I'm losing sight of all that God is doing in my midst because all I can think about is relationship, 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 relationship. And what's not okay is to expect a human, sinful man to be all the things that God and Christ are meant to be. So it's really important that we are in the habit of checking our posture when it comes to how we're interacting 
with marriage and how, what kind of messages we're sending to others about marriage. Because the other piece of it is that God designed marriage and singleness to communicate messages about him to the world. But so often, we unintentionally, as a church body, like Big C Church, not beating up on Creekside, send these messages to the world, you're supposed to be married, you better get married, you don't belong if you're not married. And what is, where does that leave all of our single women, right? The other piece with it when it comes to checking our posture is our hands. Are our fists closed because we're so certain that our perspective is right? Are our fists closed because we are trying to control? Are they closed because we haven't let go of anger or resentment? And it might be righteous anger. It could be that someone really, really did a number on us. But how in the world do I walk through this life serving him if I'm hanging like this, right? How he'll still work in me because he's good like that. But the efficiency is going to be a whole lot different when I'm standing like this or when I'm standing like this than when I'm standing like this. But here's the thing. Just like when we've talked about this posture with topics like fear or suffering, the process of going from here to here might be like this. And it might be, God, I don't think I can. I don't think I can let go. I don't think I can open up. And then it's very much that interaction with him of, I want to believe, help me in my unbelief, right? But maybe it's taking a slightly different form. I want to forgive, help me in my unforgiveness. I want to be free, help me in my closed off space. I want to not be so saturated by anger or fear or resentment or control. I, I want you to be the one on my throne, not him or the idea of marriage, but help me with that. I want you to be my satisfaction, but, you know, it, it's taking an honest look at ourselves and going to him and saying, this is, this is what it is, and you already know that. You've just been waiting for me to acknowledge it, comma, but you do your work. Fill in the blank. When we think about diversity of experience, 
it, we can't tackle all the wide variety of needs in even a space this size. There, thankfully, are a ton of good resources. And the, it's important to remember whenever we're looking at growth change, start small. Pick one thing. And we are always growing. There's always room for change. Just like in Janine's story when she said, hey, we're still working on communication. 42 years later, we're still working on communication. So a couple, just a couple resource <coughs> ideas. Um, Dr. Jessica McLeese is a Christian sex therapist. Her website is Be Fully Well. I wish that we talked more about sex as a Christian body. Um, when, when we're looking at a covenant relationship, it, this aspect of it can be so broken. It was designed to be a way of renewing sending those messages of safety, of security, of renewed covenantal commitment, to be a picture of that garden vulnerability where I am naked and unashamed. But we come into it broken, often bringing in past hurts, past injuries, past messages of um, lack of or wrong, uh, like even, you know, you shouldn't want to thrive in this area, um, rigidity, it all kind of, we bring so much to the table, but then also when we think about even just the process of change over time and aging and, um, and then just life, you know, stress and kids. And when kids are at the age where they're just awake all the time and around all the time, and how do you get any time together? So, you know, check it out and have a conversation with yourself. Have a conversation with God about it. Have a conversation with your spouse. Make a step towards change. Another resource is Mylan and Kay Yurkovich, a pastor and a therapist. Um, they're often featured on um, New Life Live, which is a, a Christian call-in, um, like counseling show on 710. Um, and they go through, uh, we've talked a bit in here about attachment, and that is this idea that um, without, you know, pointing blame, we all have like even the best families you'll have to go to therapy about. Like, I mean, we're just, when you have that many like sinners trying to do life and intimacy together, it's about, there are bound to be issues. Um, but attachment is this idea that the, uh, 
your, your early interactions affect your ability to um, be authentic, have secure relationships, um, experience emotional intimacy. And so one of the things that Mylan and Kay Yurkovich have on their website is they go through um, different attachment styles. And there's a free assessment where you can look at your, um, you can start to identify your pattern. And if you're in a covenant relationship, you can look at your spouse's pattern and, um, and see, they'll show even what common interactions look like, what a typical cycle of engagement looks like. They're very open about their styles that they brought in to their relationship. He was a pleaser and she, um, I forget what they call it, but she basically was a withholder. And so he would constantly go around going, are you okay? Are you okay? And she would get irritated by that because um, her answer always was, yeah, I'm fine. And then they would have this dynamic where he would basically be chasing her around because he just needed to know, like, we're okay, but not really to talk about anything of significance, but more to put to ease his internal anxiety. And she had no um, language for her, she had no language for emotions, she had no language for internal experience. Um, and so she didn't even know how to begin to have a real conversation about what was going on with her or uh, things that they could work on within their marriage. So they have a lot of great resources for identifying your style and then um, taking steps to grow to a more secure, um, authentic engagement. Uh, and then John and Julie Gottman, um, they are researchers out of the University of Washington, and they have a ton of resources. They've been around for a long time. Um, they've done a ton of marriage studies. They have a lot of resources for parenting. Um, I know that Bayside sometimes hosts um, workshops where they use some of the Gottman's material for um, how to thrive as a couple after you bring that first baby home and um, how much changes in the couple dynamic. Um, and then uh, the last resource is Healing Broken Trust. And this is for when we're moving through issues of infidelity. Um, infidelity including pornography, because that is part of many of our stories. And um, if there, the, this is just a snapshot. There are a gazillion other options. If your growth need is not covered here, you are always welcome to send me an email, contact me through social media, and I'd be happy to give you more ideas. I have people ask me all the time, um, I'd like to meet with someone, do you have any referral ideas? Or, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with this, do you have any suggestions for um, things that might help with that? Um, and then the last thing is um, we're going to look at 
two examples of steps towards change. Hopefully they're helpful and not overwhelming. Um, because uh, these are the kinds of things that I look at all the time, so it makes a lot of sense to me. And I forget that if, you don't, if you're not in the habit, right? We all do that sometimes. Like whatever it is that is common to our world, our toolkit, our language, um, sometimes it can be hard to step into the other person's shoes and go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> um, so we'll take a look. Uh, so the first thing is Gottman in their research they identified when looking at uh, couples who were really struggling um, on the edge of divorce, um, maybe, maybe had um, moved into divorce, uh, they noticed there were four commonalities. Uh, the first one was a tendency um, towards criticism. Um, finger pointing, verbal jabs, lots of you statements. Um, the second was contempt. Approaching interactions as if your perspective is the only correct one. This often is soaked in self-righteousness. Uh, the third is defensiveness. Victimizing yourself to ward off a perceived attack and reverse the blame. And then the fourth is stonewalling, withdrawing to avoid conflict. Now here's the thing, we all do these things sometimes, right? The catch is when this becomes a pervasive pattern. So then they offer four anecdotes. The first is practicing what's called a gentle startup. Share your feelings. Practice I statements. So the difference between the I and the you, the you often um, contains blame. The you is pointing out what you could do differently, what you should change. Um, this is your fault. The I is inviting them into your experience. I feel hurt. I feel misunderstood. Um, when, you know, when you leave your shoes all over the house, I feel like my commitments my day isn't as important as yours. I don't think you are meaning to do that it, because it doesn't match up with the way we interact at other times, but I walk around feeling this growing resentment. Um, build a culture of appreciation and this can start really, really small. Pick one honest thing to say thank you about. It's, that, it's like when you're looking at um, dynamics with kids. If you were a teacher, if you have kids, it's that thing of positive reinforcement. 
That works in relationships too, right? You point out the good, you're likely to get more of the good. Um, if it's just punishment and punitive, people aren't super motivated to do more of the good. Um, you're also looking at, it's like when we're practicing gratitude, where if we're focusing on appreciation, all of a sudden our perspective starts to change a bit. The culture starts to change a bit. The, um, the thoughts that are in our mind, it's not that the 97 things that they do that irritate you have necessarily disappeared, but all of a sudden the three that you're appreciative of are taking up more airspace in your head. Um, the third is take responsibility. Open yourself to alternative perspectives and expand willingness to apologize. This requires some sense of safety. Um, and when we think about our posture, if, if my mind is filled with who he says I am, then I'm, it's easier for me to open myself up and apologize because I'm not so vulnerable to this defensive stance that says, no, if you admit you did something wrong, you're less of a person. Um, and then the last thing is something that I wish was more common in adult culture anyway, and that is take a time out. We tend to need them more than kiddos anyway. So grow in your understanding of when you're heightened. Um, when those emotions, the intense emotions, fear, sadness, anger, when they're surging, especially anger, we're more likely to have that cognitive functioning, that executive functioning turn off. We're not going to be able to reason through things very well. We're not going to be able to speak very clearly. So save yourself the trouble of regret and beating yourself up over what you said or didn't say later by practicing a timeout. And learn how to self-soothe. It, you know, we're really just a bunch of little monkeys walking around in adult bodies. We still have the same needs. So think about how babies are responded to and they need to calm down and practice those things with yourself. The tender touch, the, the soft sounds, the gentle voice, the soft feelings, um, the, the worship music, the things that pour truth over you, um, the things that send messages of calm and comfort and safety. Get into the habit of surrounding yourself with those options and learn how to self-soothe. And then the last thing is an example from Mylan and Kay Yurkovich, and this is called a comfort circle. Um, and this is a process. Like all of these things take time. All of these things um, we can use extra tools, extra resources to, um, to implement, to practice. It's going to feel awkward. Anytime we try something new, it feels awkward initially. Um, 
So the first thing is to seek awareness of your past experiences. And I'm a big fan of look backward only in so much as it's helpful in moving forward. So we don't have, we don't ever have to dwell in our past. We don't have to sit in harm that was done to us or that we did to others. Um, but, but look back on your story only to the degree that it's helpful in better understanding and moving forward. Um, become aware of, you know, we use this word triggers, and that's really just, we all have certain things that are going to feel extra sensitive to us, and that's okay. Like, we all have something that we find, like, extra annoying. Um, we all have things that, that affect us. And, it, and the, the way that you can tell that it's something like a trigger is, whoa, my response to this is way bigger than what this seems to actually warrant. So that, all that means is that it, it tapped into other things. And so your, your mind and your heart and your body um, are taking a little extra time to respond because it, it tapped into bigger feelings, maybe connected in with, with memories or patterns. Um, maybe it's trying to draw our attention to the fact that, like, oh, we thought we were further along in this process than we are. I need more time to heal. Um, I, it's, it's time to ask for help with this. I don't need to just keep trying to deal with it on my own. Um, and then we practice being aware of and, um, and comfortable labeling our experience. Um, the example here is emotions. It doesn't always have to be feelings, but but just growing in the practice of like, I've got a good friendship with myself. I, I'm like pretty good at being aware of um, what I think about this, what's just happened around me or um, why I'm responding in this way. Um, I'm listening to people talk and I'm tearing up a little bit. Well, why, why is that? Or I'm, um, I'm in this conversation and, um, see, I'm giving feeling examples, but like I'm in this conversation and I'm feeling irritated. Well, why? You know, it, don't beat up on the, we've talked about like emotions are just meant to be message carriers. Like don't beat up on the messenger. It's just trying to like deliver you information. Um, it's, it's just trying to give you a heads up. Hey, you're feeling irritated because you're tired. You need to cut that next thing out of your calendar so you can go for a walk and breathe and get some sunshine or go to bed earlier tonight. Find another way to turn off your head so you're not having to stay up in your house by yourself later than you should be because your head just can't turn off and so you've fallen into this habit. 
um, find another way to deal with it. Or you're tearing up in this because, you know, like let, let those things deliver the message they're trying to give you, okay? And be compassionate towards yourself. Like it, we are so, you know, I was giving us a hard time about the expectations that we put on the men in our lives. We put high expectations on them because we're putting high expectations on ourselves. When have you ever had a generation, and we're multi-generational, but like a time in history when women expected more from themselves than now? Like, we're supposed to thrive in everything, and that everything has expanded, which is exciting. But holy cow, is it overwhelming and often unrealistic. Come on, who can be perfect in all these things? You know, um, I would list all the things, but we're already so overwhelmed by them. We know what they are. Uh, Practice authentic conversations. We talk about authenticity a lot. That's a big part of the purpose of this space and um, those who listen to this remotely, uh, the spaces that they're coming together in. That's a big purpose of why we would look to connect with one another is to practice authentic communication. And as we're growing in better awareness of ourselves to practice going, oh, here I am, a little more, right? Um, active listening, that's just, and I use the word practice because we're in practice and process of all these things, but active listening is simply practicing, oh, I'm here. I'm actually here, and I don't have to prep or prepare what I'm going to say because I'm feeling more comfortable with you. And so I can practice just hearing you, just seeing you, that in this moment, it's not about me, it's about you. And as I'm more fully present as a listener, I can also practice asking you questions to draw you out even more. It's that Stephanie Gretzinger song, Come Out of Hiding, You're Safe Here With Me. That is what God tells us all the time. And that is what we are called as Christian women to offer this world, is the practice of come out. You are safe. I want to see you. I want to know you, not the church safe you, but the real you. And then we move towards resolution, which looks like action, empathy. Sometimes we know this from when we're sharing something. Sometimes all that person wants or needs is empathy. Let me come out share something, and whoa, you heard it. You received it. You didn't shut down. You don't look shocked by it. Um, you haven't corrected me. You're just holding me in it 
And often that's enough. So we're going to shift into group time. And I'm going to pray to send you on your way for that.